Well, hey there, Daniel. How are you doing? Hey, David. Doing well. Good. Hey, Glad it to is be here. Thanks for having me again. It's thank you for having me up here. It's uh, it's always a pleasure to come up and uh, and to visit here in Grand Rapids. And uh, so I'm looking forward to our our time today. So yesterday, though, yesterday was a busy day. Took Kenny back to college and came over here after spending a couple hours at. Uh, uh, what book, what bookstore is that? Baker Bookstore. Baker Bookstore. On East Paris, near 28th Street. Oh, man. Good. Good coffee. Plenty of books. Christian books. Lots of them used. Yes. Oh, the, the, if you are looking to buy books, this is not an ad for them. And uh, you're looking for Christian books, devotionals. They have more than you could ever imagine. So, but yeah, it was good. And then it came over here and... Uh, then we went and visited uh, the theater and went to a movie. What movie was it we saw? The Sound of Freedom. Yes, had been anticipating coming to, uh, and watching this. I had seen the trailer a while back and saw that it was coming out on July 4th. And uh, from what I understand, it is it was a huge success on July 4th, number one in the box office. Yeah, that is amazing. So it is, a, it is an incredible story of a former government agent who turn vigilant and who embarks on a dangerous mission to rescue hundreds of children from sex traffickers. So, sounds like a, a hero's movie, but <laughs> yeah, it was anything but a hero's movie. I mean, afterwards, it just felt as though you're happy for what the outcome was, but you don't have any room to celebrate because you realize Oh, how devastating it was not only for these two kids, but for all the all the thousands of kids who are actually trapped in um, sex trafficking. So, wow. Yeah, it's not a it's not a feel good movie, but it's an important one to watch. And I certainly hope Christians will support it. It's needed. Yeah. So, I mean, so you look up on the government Web page, how big of a problem is this? And they kind of reference that also in the movie. How big is that industry? Well, let's see. I think you called up some stats a minute ago. Maybe it's good to reference that. Oh, we can look at that. You know, so well, hundred... yeah, yeah, we didn't. I mean, one thing that hit me was they had the line in the movie that within a five-year period. Now, this movie actually was completed basically five years ago. So when they talk about a five-year period, okay, that would have started ten years ago. So I'm sure by now it's only much worse but they said within a five-year period that the increase in this problem of sex trafficking went up by 5,000%. That's the numbers are astronomical. Yeah. And, um, and when you look at that, in, was it a $150 billion industry? Yes, $150 billion. And America is the chief purveyor of it. Yeah, that's $150 billion per year. Yeah. I mean, and it has everything to do with child pornography and, and subscribing to um, services online. And then, of course, as this movie lays out, people go to places and find these children. And there's a connection made there um, by these traffickers. So not only are they used in these movies, but they are, and then they're prostituted out. Yeah. So it's horrific. And so, to realize, too, that it's uh, it goes to the highest echelons and that it is a, an old problem. There was a documentary produced in the 1980s by a mainstream outlet. I forget the name of it. You know, it could have been ABC News, something like that. 
back when journalists used to do journalism, you know. But, <laughs> that was a while ago. <laughs> yeah, that was a while ago, where, where it wasn't just propaganda fake news. But anyway, they investigated, especially a guy named Larry King, not the talk show host. Oh, good. I was, I was hoping you weren't talking about that, Larry. <laughs> no, this one from Omaha, Nebraska. He actually was a huge fundraiser for the Republican Party. And so this is not a Democrat-Republican thing. Uh, this is a sin thing. And, it is a sin thing because yeah. it goes across political lines. Yeah. Yeah, he was from Omaha, Nebraska, and he was... Uh, uh, feeding out young boys from Boys Town that's in Omaha, Nebraska. And he was discovered and prosecuted. But Nebraska, you would expect to hear that from New York or L.A., but out there in the in the breadbasket of America, right yeah. there in Nebraska. Yeah, quite, quite horrifying um, that it's such a, I mean, it could be your neighbor next door even, and you wouldn't really know. I mean, often what happens is it's even a family member, even a parent, who maybe is simply, uh, I don't want to use offensive words, but, you know, subletting <laughs> their daughter or son right out of their house. And so you might not, you might well have, you could have a neighbor like that and maybe not even know it. There is a lot that goes on that, well, under the, under the cloud of darkness that people have within their own homes. You know, so when I look at some of the statistics, and they gave some statistics uh, during the movie, but, you know, there are 152 million children in child labor. And and they showed some of that, and they're actually being used for, you know, working agriculture. They're doing other things. They're stolen, and they're, and they're working in sweatshops. And this country has had many busts where illegal children, you know, seven, eight years old or working long hours. And, you know, this is, you think, oh, I thought this is history class, but, but it's going on today. Yeah, and it talks about the economic uh, feasibility of it <laughs> that they said, I forgot exactly the stats, but when it comes to drugs, of course, you have the drug, you sell it, they use it. Okay, now they want to come back, get more drugs. You have to have this constant supply, right? You sell it, it's used, you got to sell again, right? Whereas they were saying with having uh, children, or not just children, right? Or in not just sex slavery, other forms of slavery. But anyway, that, well, with children, they said uh, four or five tricks a night. That's crazy. And so, you know, you look about the industry, and that's why it's $150 billion, you know, that they're bringing in a year. And then the movies, every time they show child pornography, you know, there's money being made. And it's all about money. It's yeah. all about money and greed at the at the cost of human life. Yeah. I thought the interesting statistic that they said is that there are more slaves today than there was in the time when slavery yeah. was legal. Yeah. And that's happening right here in yeah. this country, as well as, of course, other countries. And so, well, it's other countries. You don't have to be afraid. And... Uh, the numbers are staggering, and so quickly can a child be taken, snatched, and uh, and all of a sudden, they're lost in the system. Well, and right now, the way that that's happening is through the, you know, the open southern border. Tour just recently, it was reported a month or so ago, that 185,000 children are missing. And that the way that these children are fed in, um, not that the government necessarily is complicit in it, maybe... 
by uh, maybe members being are overwhelmed. Sure, and certain members are, I would imagine, turning a blind eye to it. Yeah, because the child will come unaccompanied and have something maybe stitched into their shirt, <clears throat> saying, "Okay, call Uncle So and So at this number." And so they get that, they call the uncle, yep, sure enough, oh, wonderful, my niece is here, that's great. And then our government, at tax expense, of course, is uh, flying them out there, unvetted. Yeah, I mean, so they're taking advantage of the crisis we have down at the border and using it as a means to, well, to transport children at the taxpayer's expense. And And these children coming to America... A place that they're thinking they're going to have freedom is anything but freedom. Yeah. Now, we could, we, we'll talk a little more about that in a second. But so, so here are some other interesting statistics that, you know, we talk about 152 million children are in child labor. Now, 48% of those are from the ages of 5 to 11. Five-year-olds to 11. That's almost half of those kids. Yeah. And there's no consent <clears throat> there. 28% are you know, from 12 to 14 years old. And then another 24% are from the age of 15 to 17 years old. I mean, that is that is just crazy. Now, when you look and you break that down to gender, you're looking at 58%. 88 million are boys and 42% or 64 million are little girls. And they had the line in the movie about how uh, they asked, how many, of, uh, how many pedophiles have you caught, you know, this number? Okay, and how many children have you found? Uh, that the answer is, was zero. Exactly, and that is the key. That's what turned this whole thing around is when this you know special agent had looked at that and he says, yeah, we're getting all these pedophiles, but where are the children? Where are the children? Well, the horrifying fact that the movie didn't bring out is that oftentimes what happens is after the child has been used, they don't want the child found and identified and being as incriminating evidence, so they murder the child. Yeah, they're disposable. And they did bring out, I think, some of them. Uh, th- that's part of what they'll pay for, is for that uh, that perverse desire of even murdering a child for sexual gratification. Yeah, it, it, yeah, oh yeah, that that becomes the end line, you know, and so. You think how could the depravity be so so bad? But it's just really showing us why we all we are we are needing redemption. Matter of fact, there is a there is a story within the story of redemption, and one of the uh, uh, key people was actually a former drug lord, and um, his storyline as as it unfolds because this agent asked him, "You were a drug lord." Why is it that you are now purchasing children out of the system, you know, to set them free? Yeah. And he tells his personal story about how for, you know, he was a drug lord and in the cartel and murder and, and sex and drugs was all a part of that. And uh, he spent his 15 years in prison, not giving up any information. And after his release, you know, he had the nice condo on the beach. He, he was set up. And um, he hired a hooker, paid for a hooker to come at 25 years old and and uh, paid her and everything else. And then um, he glanced down at her toes, strange as it is, as the story goes. And he notices that this 25-year-old lady 
had uh, painted her toenails with these, how do you say, childlike images of mm-hmm. little pictures that a little girl would do. And he looked up into her face and caught her eyes and realized this isn't a 25-year-old lady. This is a 14-year-old girl yeah. dressed up as a 25-year-old lady. And he was he looked at that. And then he asked her and talked to her and found that she had been in this business since the age of six. Mm-hmm. And here she was, 15, made to look like a 25-year-old. Well, this just kind of rocked his world. And after she left and he realized the depravity that he saw, the, the darkness he saw in her eyes, was actually a reflection of, of himself. Yeah. And unable to even live with that, he was like, and this guy is just shaken. He was a former drug lord. He put a gun to his head and was going to kill himself. And he says, at any time in your life, if you're thinking that you're going to meet God, it's when you have a gun to your head and you're going to end it and say, well, if he exists, am I going to want to meet him like this? Hmm. And so he, he put the gun down and realized, no, I don't. And then it was though he said, when God tells you that you need to do something, yeah, you do it. And that's when this guy heard from God, you need to rescue these children. Yeah. And so he spent the rest of his life, and it's part of the story of rescuing, purchasing, okay, these children. And it's kind of interesting because in the story, you look at this guy, he's a cigar smoking, whiskey drinking guy and uh, living in Mexico, um, and he's rescuing children. Yeah. But wow. And so that's part of the storyline. And uh, then we realize that it is about the children. As much as you want to arrest the pedophilers and stuff like that and the people who are having the downloading all this pornography he realized the real victims are still out there yeah and so that's where the story goes he's an agent he quits his job he has 10 months before he can actually you know be fully invested in his retirement his wife and with uh and together they have four or five kids she says you got to rescue these kids and so that's where the story goes. It's about him looking for the the sister of one of the boys that he had at first had had rescued. Yeah, and the tagline uh, for it was that uh, God's children are not for sale. Oh my! Mm. God's children, and that's and, and that that is such a strong piece. And you hear that a couple of times during the movie. Matter of fact, when this you know cigar smoking, whiskey drinking former uh, drug lord looked at this agent across the table and says, "Why are you in this?" Mm-hmm. And you're waiting. Is it? Does it make you feel good? Are you happy about it? His response was, "Well, yeah, but God's children are not for sale." Yep. And that's where the bond then was all all. That's where the bond was created between these two and the mission. Yeah. So there's some other characters, too. Now, you know, something interesting about that, though, is that's explicitly theological. What do you mean? God's children. So apart from that Christian backdrop, do you have sufficient grounding for morality at all? Because now let me play the devil's advocate, okay? Surely we all disagree with slavery. Let's just start that as a given, okay? But hey... Now, let me go there. Now, I'm uh, using this to speak facetiously, all right? But, you know, love is love. 
So what do you mean love is love? Give me a little more description of that. It's a, it's a nice little tagline. You know, but I'm not we're sure what both married men, right? So we know what it is to be intimate with one's wife and to show love and to experience that, to appreciate that, to create more bonding. It's, it's good. It's beautiful. It's a gift of God. And so that's that's what it is. Oh, so you're going to take the, you're people, taking this though. line of you're taking this line of thinking, and saying, "Listen, God's children are not for sale," and um, and you're directly now going at this line of thinking that the only way in which that holds of any value is if it's true. Yeah, yeah. But let's say it's not. Let's say, well, we're gonna we're gonna at least put this on the table, which perhaps also there's no grounding for. And that is that slavery is wrong. Okay, so we want consensual uh, intimacy, okay? And, you know, children, I mean, they're of the age now, even if they're in elementary school, where parents could be kept from the information by the public school system and the teachers for the children to, uh, you know, take hormone treatments and then even, you know, or abortions or leading up to cutting off body parts, you know, without the parents' consent or knowledge. So certainly children are apparently our society's accepting is capable of making really weighty life-changing decisions. Okay, well then why not the one about being intimate, you know? All right, so let me let me back this up back this uh up a little bit here. So in other words, you're saying the only real way in which you can legitimize uh this this a war against child trafficking. The only way that you can legitimize um, anything is that you have to have a belief in God. Yeah, I mean, it seems. Otherwise, to me, everything's open. Everything. Yeah. Slavery is just you know one more ticket on the on the list of things that uh, maybe it isn't so bad. Well, yeah, even that, even that. I mean, I was just saying, hey, let's put it on the table, even though it's gratuitous. That slavery is wrong. Okay, but now how do you get rid of pedophilia? Because, you know, the pedophile, that is how they are attracted. And, you know, when somebody has this, they can't help it. Okay, it's so, what they're born with. All right, so you, I, need to learn, you need to love them, respect them. We're not saying that we allow them to have slavery or to cause physical harm. No, but, you know, if it's a 40-year-old man with a 6-year-old child and it's consensual and the child's enjoying it, Hey man, love is love. So, so just to make sure that this now is what you're advocating, <laughs> right? That you are actually just playing this out about how stupid it is. Yeah. But at the same token, the only way it can be so stupid and shake you to the core is to realize that there is objective truth. That there is a God who sets standards for morality, and without Him. Everything's open love. Everything yeah. is what you want. And that may sound really crazy, but there is, in fact, movements going on that is, that's defending oh, yeah. child. They're following all the same arguments that were used for gay marriage. Yeah. Oh, they are. And now we, you look down this road and say, well, hold it. You know, I was fine with people doing whatever they want to do in the privacy of their own house. But now they've taken that line of thinking and the trajectory is exactly where we're at now. What you presented in a very facetious way 
is in fact right. where that line of thinking will take you. And he said, well, hold it. I never meant for it to go that way. I never meant for that train to travel that far down the track. Yeah. But that's the destination it will eventually go to. Yeah. And then we were asking earlier, sitting on the front porch, uh, well, okay, so then what do we do? Well, here's one thing that we do is to realize that there is a real theological, moral, spiritual base to this. So one thing to do regarding this horrendous evil, this horror of child trafficking for sex, is know God, love God, be transformed into his image, have that uh, play out in your house, uh, including what you don't watch on television. You don't have moral filth coming on your television, infecting you, but then affecting children around it, even if they're just not really understanding or checking it out here and then, here and there, the kind of atmosphere, spiritually and morally, that one creates in their home. Um, well, I'd heard about one so-called Christian family, and there were a bunch of them together, and some other members of the family came, and they realized that they were watching some... It was popular television. It wasn't actually porn, but, you know... By the way that that's gone now, it's so filthy, disgusting that we're being uh, desensitized to this stuff and creating this, you know, America's a sex-crazed culture. Okay, one second here, all right? Now, I remember I remember when I wanted to become a, a member of First Alliance, I had to meet with the elders, and there was questions that were going, and one of the things in which they presented was, do you go to movies, you know? And I think, seriously... Yeah. You mean I can't go to the movie theater? And I said, well, you understand that though you go and watch a decent movie, it's still going to support an industry that is putting out all these filth, mm -hmm. all these filthy movies. And I said, yeah, but that's not where my money's going to. We just want you to understand that. And I thought, you know, this is here. This is in the 1980s. And I think that's crazy. This is just legalism and just taking it to an extreme. But when you look at where things are at today, they were right. Yeah. They were exactly right. Again, it was further down the road than I could see. But today, when you are subscribing to, well, it's okay, it's not that bad, it is going to an industry that, in fact, does okay produce the filth and the rot and the decay of our society where this movie it's not right now it's using the theaters right to go and to put it out there and then eventually it's going to be streamed that's why for christians to go to this movie and to be able to support it it's put out by uh, by angel studios the same ones who do the chosen right extremely important oh yeah absolutely yeah my grandmother and my dad told me used to argue the same way uh, that you were just describing. And I used to think that was silly and ridiculous. I mean, my goodness. She, I mean, <laughs> she was talking about the movies from the 1920s and 30s, for crying out loud. But then you look into a little bit of the inception of Hollywood. Charlie Chaplin, he was a pedophile. And you look into even Mae West or um, Valentino... So many of these figures, they actually were channelers of demons. They'd say it themselves. And they were very much sexualizing. And then you get into Marilyn Monroe. And even, I mean, I actually cried when I heard Elvis Presley died. <laughs> I was a kid. <laughs> That's because you 70s. love playing the guitar. <laughs> yeah. 
But, you know, when he died, he died with a book about uh, sex magic yeah. that he was reading at the time. I mean, there, there's a lot of things. And we can take this and we can say, okay, I'm going to become Amish, you know, meaning that I'm just going to pull away from society. But if you go to buy hamburger at the local meat market, right, right. And, and the guy who's, who owns his shop isn't necessarily morally upright, aren't you, in, in fact, supporting somebody whose business is going to be spending money on, on things that are not right? And the answer is, yeah, that is true. Um, I think when it becomes so evident, so blatant, and that it's in your face, that you realize that many times this is the reason by which they produce somewhat okay movies so that they can then produce the other ones that are pushing their agenda. Yeah. And it doesn't stop. So when you look at the Disney movies, when you watch uh, the new cartoons, you realize that these writers have a have an agenda. Yeah. And they're, and they're going after children and changing their mindset. I mean, we kind of... We read an article last night that talked about, well, it was an article about the the march of um, that was going, I think, in California. Was it the pride, the gay pride march? And it or was in New, New York City. Yeah, and the writer was supporting the chant. Uh, he wrote in the New York Times, as well as taken out of context. What was that? We are coming for your children. Right, we are coming for, so what exactly was the context for that? Do you remember? Well, they, I mean, they, that phrase was used a few years ago in uh, a video that was, came out of, I think, San Francisco. It was something like the Gay Men's Glee Club Choir or whatever, uh, where they kept repeating that line, we are coming for your children. And people will say, oh, come on, they're just being facetious. They're not really serious. They're trying to be it's for shock value. And, and there's but, probably some ha-ha. truth to that as well. But it's also more than that. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine if you're, hey, I'm just being facetious. It's just for shock value, you know, being a little edgy. And then you say something akin to that regarding African-Americans, regarding Jews. No, I don't think that would get a pass, nor should it. And neither should this. No, it's, you know, I think the biggest thing would be to give a pass, meaning that do they have the right to say it? You know, should you censor them? No, you should be outraged by it. Right. You should be contacting and say, listen, we don't want this type of parade going down our streets. We don't want men dressed as women saying we're coming for your children. Well, in our and public then, libraries. And then go in, exactly. And then to go into the public library and read yeah. children book to desensitize or to, you know, the fairy godmother in Disneyland has a beard and a mustache. Yeah. Right. You know, where little girls will go in and be made into a princess. And here they're welcomed by a guy who has a beard and a mustache. Yeah, and at that at that Pride event, so-called, that you'd mentioned in New York City where we are coming for your children. Well, what else? You'll, you'll find plenty online there about that. One of them was like a guy about my age, <laughs> 60 and overweight and kind of disgusting looking. Yeah, in his white underwear, literally twerking in front of a five-year-old, to the glee of the parents. So America Because fast. they're open, they're so open-minded and wanting to be so accepting. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's the new how thing. Many, how many of us would leave the front door of our house unlocked right. to allow anybody who want to come in? Yeah. And yet, people are doing the same thing by 
allowing all of this perversity just to come on in and say, listen, we're open and willing to accept anyone and everyone. You're yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's uh, it, bringing that up, actually. I was sitting on the front porch, and my wife and two granddaughters were out in the front yard playing, and a car comes up and goes by real slow. He's staring at him, the guy in the car, and then they go to the neighbor's house and park cockeyed and just stay there. And uh, uh, it was very creepy. So what what can we do about this? Okay, number one, awareness. Because even if situations like that come to you. Uh, number two, like we're doing now, arguing, giving reasons, uh, supporting what we think and why we think it. Having number the discussion. Three, having the discussion. Yes. And then number three, realizing the importance of ourselves being spiritually attuned. Because if we don't, we're talking about how many Americans have been propagandized to where they feel like the good thing, the right thing to really be a good American, right, is to celebrate Pride Month. And that can mean taking your five-year-old to the library to have a grown man uh, dressed in this clown face, which I find to be just a mockery of femininity and womanhood, and twerking in front of your child. And I don't want to go into explaining what that means, but you could look it up. Vile. This is where we're at. And if we're not prepared spiritually, we're not watching filth, we're taking the time to read our Bibles, to pray, uh, to be developed spiritually. If we're not there like that now, we too will find ourselves on the slippery slope to hell. Okay, so what, you know what you describe, I'm going to just be honest here. Most people are going to think you're crazy. You're, you're talking about such oddities that this isn't the world in which I know. And maybe it's out there. But it's really small. It's not a part of it. This movie doesn't... One of the pieces in which is so instrumental is it says it's telling a story. You need to hear the story. And they focus on these two children and this guy who does this because it is going to be the story that the narrative that is going to get people's attention. Yeah. You know, like... Uncle Tom's Cabin mm -hmm. was instrumental in, in the idea of slavery. When we look at the story and the narrative, we hear that about whose narrative is being spoken because the narrative, that story, is what's going to direct our society. So which narrative are you going to be a part of? Are you going to be a part of, you know, listen to the stories of these children so that you are aware? Now, with that said, does, does that mean you have to be fearful? And the answer is absolutely not there isn't anything to be fearful of meaning that there is something you do in place of your fear what is it and you kind of mentioned that you know you talk about as christians what do you do yeah number one just theologically know your place in christ that we i mean if you are assuming you are if you're not that can be a simply resolved <laughs> it's called repentance right mm -hmm. but uh in faith but uh yeah number one to to know who we are in christ so there's no comparison you know between god and satan satan is a created creature created in time yeah a third of the angels fell along with them now they're demons um but it's no match no comparison whatsoever to the being who created everything who was timeless and who presently sustains all that is. 
So this is not at all an even fight. <laughs> and we have to leave ourselves up to God's sovereignty and to say it is well with my soul and to be humble, to submit ourselves to the Lord and to realize we're not going to have answers for everything. Because for all of us, perhaps, there's something that happened in your life. Maybe it was horrific. It was awful. God, you could have stopped it. You saw it ahead of time. You had the power to do it. You didn't. Why not? Okay, well, you can take that uh, attitude as a way to just hate God, which will just put you on the wrong side of the tracks here. Or we can accept the fact that, yes, God is sovereign. He knows all this. He saw it coming. He already gave the solution. He already knows when it's all going to be utterly vanquished. Evil will be and things all will be set right. We don't know that. We can't know that. So let me, so with that said, you know, well, we don't need to be fear God's going to protect us like a, put put us in bubble wrap. That That's not going to be the case. Many of us have already experienced some horrendous things and we're still dealing with those as a fallout. Um, and it's not as though God always watches out. He does watch out, but it doesn't mean that we are, we're always protected from the evil that goes on. Matter of fact, when we do nothing, we only are propagating or even increasing the, the, the probability that something bad will happen. So what can we do? Well, first of all, go to this and watch this movie. Be aware of the story. In a very powerful way, you said, well, read the scriptures. Make sure that your home is what it should be. And don't allow the, the filth that comes in the from the world to come into your home and prayer prayer is huge so oftentimes mm -hmm. we hear in the yeah. media there's a school shooting well our prayers are with you and the news is saying what good are your prayers doing yeah we need legislation to curb gun control and that's a completely different issue but what they do is they minimize the influence of prayer and so well, how do you pray for things you don't know you pray your kingdom come yeah. Your will be done. Well, and I know testimonially how powerful that is because one year ago today, you know, you and your wife and family were here uh, to be at my son's funeral. So he died suddenly in the car crash. And <clears throat> if I didn't have the attitude, the belief, the understanding with prayer and submission that I have, I could be a very bitter, angry person right now. Yeah. So, God, my son. 28 years old, killed like that. Why? Why? It's senseless. You know what I'm saying? Right, but you were prepared, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, I was. Tell me, tell me how, <clears throat> you know, only thing you can do is what God revealed to you. Okay, he didn't lay out what's going to happen, but he prepared you. Explain that to me. Yeah, that's true. And, and that's not something that I would expect normally he'd do. And so even apart from this, one has to have the understanding, it is well with my soul. I submit to the Lord. I don't have to know. Like that song says, I Amen. I don't. I only need to hold his hand. I don't need to understand. I just need to hold his hand, right? But no, I did get a heads up. And it was, yeah, I was sitting in the backyard where now we have a little statue of uh, Joseph holding Jesus uh, next to where we had the residual uh, ashes of my son. Because his, his, you know, he came in and we had to put his uh, ashes in an urn. And so I pour them out into the urn. But then, okay, there's still a little bit of residue on the bag. So I, I actually put water in that bag and shook it down. And I poured those very little ashes poured down uh, 
into a you know hole in the ground where he had two nice plants there for my sister-in-law given at the funeral and the visitation and statue of joseph there but anyway that's why i selected that site to do that because at that site i was sitting uh i think not even a week before my son's death and i can't really it's hard to describe i all i knew is there was a presence before me and it's communicating with me didn't hear anything but I have this definite realization like is it okay that your son you know is gonna leave this world and what did you say to that and I I, I said Lord your will be done absolutely and, and then I ended up saying it as well with my soul and my sister-in-law gave me a plaque that says that that I have hanging up somewhere and you then I trust. and then I walked into the house and I sat down while Dee Dee's working and I told her my wife Dee Dee and I told her right away I said hon I said uh, we have to be prepared for Micah's death and so we did have heads up but whether you get a heads up or not the point is the same that we because horrendous things like this are happening yeah like child pedophilia yes. or like death or rape or Heck, what would it feel like to have your house broken into? I mean, people talk about how they feel so violated. It's very, yeah. It actually is very personal. Okay, we all have all kinds of awful things we have to deal with. So what's your attitude going to be? You know that Jesus is the conqueror <clears throat> and that he's going to come back and set things right. You don't know when, you don't know how, but you do believe. You can have that attitude, uh, which I've chosen, which is why I'm a very, very thankful person who's been grieving this whole last year. Or... You can have the other attitude, and like so many atheists have, it doesn't seem that actually they don't believe that God exists. I had said in a philosophy class I was taking one time, it just seems more like Jean-Paul Sartre hates him. Not that he doesn't believe in him. Yeah. And the, the professor actually said, that's funny you should mention that. I wrote a book, and he was a Buddhist and an atheist himself, but he wrote a book called The Shadow of God in Jean-Paul Sartre. Because some of these people who say they don't believe in God or they don't care, <laughs> gosh, they sure seem to be worked their, up about it. Like, will belief, they hate them? Their belief in God is stronger. <laughs> yeah. It really is. Because yeah. their anger gives testimony to it. Yeah. You know, so I don't believe in God. Then why are you so angry? It's the fact that you do that it angers you. Yeah. If you didn't, it'd be like the pink elephant in the corner of the room that somebody tells you about. Yeah, okay. And you kind of chuckle and you go on your way. Yeah. But because you do believe, your anger just is outraged. Yeah, probably because you want to do what you want to do. And you don't want accountability. You and know, you want to follow that doctrine, which which allows for pedophilia and all this stuff. The doctrine of, uh, you know, Aleister Crowley. I've mentioned it before. Do what thou wilt is the whole of the law. That, in essence, is Satanism. Yeah, it, it is. It is. But when we come back to your story, and this is the this is probably more in line with our listeners, those of us who know Christ and who who believe in him, it becomes difficult at times to trust him. Right. To say your will be done. <clears throat> right. Because we have a hesitancy when we look at the world and see so many terrible things happening. And we ask, how can these things happen if God is as powerful and loving as he is? But they, yet they do. And he is as powerful and as loving as he is. What does that say about his will be done? 
And can we trust him through the darkest of times? And the answer is, we can. Right. But that is the tough part. That right. is really the hard part. So when you you get a sense that God's spirit speaks or an angel delivers a message, are you willing? And you say, yes, your will be done. That can only be done by the grace of God. Right. But he gives us just strength. And then when it happens, then we have to remain faithful to our commitment that we said we will continue to trust. Yeah, exactly. So this, this call for trust is not a call for passivity and inactivity. No, it isn't. Because the only activity that's going to matter, though, is that that is directed by the Holy Spirit. Because we each would have only our own little tiny little sphere. So this is what this is what we do to combat this worldwide problem that we may not be aware is in our own neighborhood, but we don't think it effective. Is that when we watch this movie and we come away from this and we look at the devastation that is in this world, the depravity of mankind, we get on our knees and we say, Lord, your will be done, whatever is going on. We pray for the victims, for the children, for the millions who are out there. And we're asking for your will to be done. And we join him in this spiritual battle that is being played out in humanity. And we're saying, Lord, your will be done. Right. And those prayers are in alignment and an agreement and joining the forces of what God wants to accomplish. Yeah. So our prayers are not simply, well, we pray for you, and the media mocks it, so that's all you can do. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a whole lot when we realize who we're joining forces yeah, with. Yeah, we, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. This is demonic. So on the, on the positive side, look what we're saying. Uh, Satan is no match for God. It's already a foregone conclusion. Victory is guaranteed. And so some of us might need to know that. But some of us perhaps need to know, you're not even aware that you are in a battle. You don't even realize that there is spiritual warfare going on now, that it is very real. Oh, absolutely. You're right. And if that's the case, okay, then maybe what you need to realize, let me kind of flip the coin here, you need to realize the kind of horror and power that is real that you are facing. Perhaps that you've invited into your house, maybe through your adultery, through whatever kinds of sin. Pornography. Maybe your oh my or, pornography. Yeah, that's See, huge. Is your, so prevalent. Your cell phone. Maybe your Ouija board. Maybe whatever. Maybe curses being put on you from uh, if you're you know have Freemasons in your family who are let's say above the fifteenth degree or something of the Scottish Rite. Whatever. Perhaps you. Like we saw in that movie, Nefarious, you know, where the demon spoke through the prisoner and said um, to the lawyer who said, oh, look, I'm an atheist. I'm not worried. And, <laughs> and the demon says to him, and that's why you're losing. You don't even know you're in a war. You don't even realize it. Yeah. And Christians the same way. Yeah. We don't realize yeah. that we're in a battle. We're also contained in our own lives. And that's why going to this movie is important. Yeah, it it's, is. It's going to give you a perspective that you probably have not had, that you've heard about, but you really haven't wanted to to look into. Yeah, so, it's an uncomfortable subject. And give you more purpose to pray. Yeah, and you think about the, the kinds of, uh, you know, outrage, and perhaps rightly so to some extent, to some cases, whatever, regarding um, racial problems in America, right? 
uh, perhaps regarding policing or whatever. Okay, fair enough, you know. All right, now, you want to compare this to this slavery right now, which by the numbers is a whole lot higher, actually, quite arguably, a whole lot more horrific when you're talking about sexually molesting children and then often after murdering them. True, but you can't compare. And, and it's present. But you can't compare. No, meaning, uh, the, meaning, only, the only way I'm comparing is just to say, where's the level of vitriol, outrage, public outcry, uh, prop- uh, not, not propaganda, but I mean uh, displaying it you know, on the news nonstop every day for months and months. Where is that? It's not there. Absolute point well taken. The atrocities that they're discovering are just are, are bad. The atrocities that we're talking about are bad. You can't ignore any of them. They're right. all important. What right. the listener has experienced and that personal and that personal setback or destruction of part of their lives or their childhood is just as important to God. Oh, he says he goes, Listen guys. You think you got a bad list of what's going on here? Let me just show you. And say, like, oh, that's a rational thinking that doesn't come from God. God yeah. concerns about the sparrow. Yeah. Okay, he's concerned for your suffering, but he also wants you to be concerned for the suffering of others. Yeah, so by encouraging people to see this movie and talk about it at your dinner tables and with your friends and all, to raise awareness is part of the solution. Here's, here's so in my morning devotions, I talked about Isaiah today. And um, the king of um, was sent out to talk about, to meet the northern, uh, or I should say Isaiah went out to give a message to the, to the northern kingdom who wanted to come in to destroy, you know, Jerusalem. And um, God said it's not going to happen. And they're saying, but they're a pretty, you know, big force. And he says, this isn't going to happen. I'm going to protect you. So though it is a true battle that is present at your front door, he tells them, okay, I'll take care of this, and you need only to, and he says, do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs, because the fierce anger of these kings. And he tells them, be, care, be careful, be calm, and don't be afraid. But he says, don't ignore what's at your door. Just understand that you don't need to be afraid. Right. Unless I protect you, then you have some. You would have a reason to be fearful, but I will protect you. So when we look at what's going on in this world, when we go to this movie and recognize uh, the millions of kids who are who are caught up in this because of adults wanting to, you know, thicken their wallets, we can pray, we can be active, but we need not fear. We are to remain calm. And we are not to be afraid, but we are to be engaged. Yes. To be engaged. Out of love and faith. Yep. So, excellent movie. I mean, it it brings home a story, a narrative that needs to be told and that we need to go and support it. Are we supporting an industry that uh, will use the money to produce uh, filth? And the answer is no. What we're doing is we're supporting a Christian organization, uh, Angel Studios, that's produced The Chosen and some other uh, fantastic movies. And uh, then they're using this to show forth in the in the cinemas. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So 
don't be afraid of uh, going there and supporting them. Matter of fact, I encourage you to do so because they they need the support. The yeah. world has got to hear this message. Right. One of the points that they made is that this movie was produced five years ago. Every obstacle in the world, right. and not even of this world, was put in their way to prevent this from coming to the theaters to tell the story. Yeah. And uh, and that's how things are changed. Telling the story. Yeah. And we tell the story of Christ. We tell the story of the good news. We have to tell the story about tra- child trafficking and uh, in order for something to change. So, Absolutely. Hey, any closing thoughts before we leave? No, can't think of anything. All right. Well, it's good talking about this movie. And uh, I encourage my listeners to, to make sure they go and see it in the theaters and it will be out streaming but i encourage you don't wait till then go out now yes and uh all right well god bless you dan thanks for the time we had together thank you david talk to you later my friend